Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Create Smarter Podcast Conversation Series, where we sit down with an industry professional and hear their takes on marketing trends, live events, and how they create smarter. On today's episode, we'll be taking a look at the way in which social media has changed the broadcast news industry. Before the era of social media and technology domination that we live in today, news was delivered to us through local and national television news stations, where we heard about the latest updates on politics, local happenings, pop culture, and the likes. However, that information is transmitted in many different ways and at much faster speeds these days. With the majority of the population owning smartphones and having instant access to the internet, we can now get our live updates of local, national, and world news right at our fingertips. Today we listen in on a conversation Marissa had with Alicia Palumbo, who is an Emmy Award-winning reporter at NBC10 Boston. We will hear them chat about how emerging technology has changed the way broadcast news has had to approach their day-to-day reporting, as well as the effect that social media has had on the industry. Let's take a listen. First question that I wanted to ask you based on the article that I sent you when we were talking about um, the emergence of content creators and what that means for traditional journalism and the news media, um, I wanted to ask you what you think um, emerging technologies and social media platforms, how they've changed um, traditional news as a whole. Well, I mean, I think that there's obviously more competition out there. So we have to be ready for it's not just you know your three stations in a market or five stations in a market and two newspapers now you've got all these other content creators who are out there they're at crime scenes they're at press conferences and they're getting the information to people in different ways than we used to and they have their own audience and so we in what you might call the traditional news media have had to kind of adapt Um, I think our web department has probably had to adapt more than um, those of us out in the field because we're kind of funneling it back into the station. Um, But we've definitely had to kind of think about things in a different way when you're covering a story, you get to the scene, you know, you've got to be getting a photo and some information in um, quickly because you may have someone next to you who doesn't have the same deadline of a, a live shot at noon that you may have, and they're going to be putting that information out there and they're going to be reaching those viewers faster. So by the time you get on TV, sometimes it's old news. So now do you think that there has been more of a blurred line between what's considered professional journalism versus your everyday content creation? Or do you think there's still that stark separation between the two? I think that we in, again, the traditional news media, Uh, may think that it's obvious uh, the difference between someone who's a professional and someone who's a blogger. Uh, But I think the consumer doesn't necessarily see the difference. And I think we saw that, especially over the past five years or so, um, everything was turned into fake news. And there was this huge campaign to turn um, your traditional media sources into fake news and at least get that opinion out there that they're not credible. Uh, and so that's been detrimental to us. And it and it has, on the other hand, leveled the playing field a bit between, um, you know, your traditional journalism sources and those who are trying to start out and um, get news out there in a non-traditional format or in a non-traditional way. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I do think the the news consumers are have gotten more savvy over the past, you know, year or two um, when there's been kind of this pushback now from journalists, from those in the national media, local media saying, look, here's why you should trust us. We actually finally realized as an institution that we need to earn people's trust and gain people's trust back that we've lost. And um, I think it's probably a valuable lesson 
as we move forward that we don't just assume everyone trusts what we're saying. We have to actually uh, educate them as to why they should believe what they're, we're telling them and why they should believe whatever source we're speaking with or whomever we're interviewing, why they're credible. So I think it's kind of held our feet to the fire a little bit more um, that we're not just going to have people automatically trust everything that we're reporting. We have to work a little bit harder. So how do you think that differs from the trust that people put in these other platforms? Like in the article that um, we both read, they were talking about how massive amounts of people are seeking their daily news and information on platforms like YouTube and Snapchat and Instagram and all those. Um, so do you think there's a danger in, in trusting the content that's posted there versus your content in the traditional news? I do think there is personally. I mean, obviously I have my own set of biases I enter into that question with. Um, but I, I am concerned with how the lines have been blurred and how people are so quick to believe whatever they read, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or just on, on YouTube or, or in a Google search. Uh, there's been a huge problem with people taking advantage of, um, of the general public's willingness to believe anything that they read online. I feel like there is um, a segment of the population that has started to really investigate where they're getting their news from, but I also think that there's a group of people who don't care and they don't, they don't want uh, to actually know where that information is coming from. They want to confirm their own biases. Um, and so that's become a little bit of a problem. And I think there are a lot of sources that either on purpose or um, just by the sheer nature of the fact that they don't have a whole editing staff in there uh, looking over their product ahead of time or kind of pushing them to look at things from different angles. They may be putting out news, quote unquote, that um, is really not that reputable. And then you've got people believing it and sharing it and sending it to their family and friends. And then more and more people believe it. And that's kind of the cycle we've gotten into um, with the actual fake news uh, that's been kind of a battle from a journalism standpoint. So kind of how you were talking about how you're competing with these everyday content creators now and the dangers of, of what um, people believe and what they see, what do you think that that competition looks like in terms of, you know, is there a strict importance of making sure that you guys are getting the information to the general public first when somebody could just take out their phone and take a video of a crime scene like you were saying before? So I think that there are um, some who have come out there and are actually doing good work on their own. Um, I don't know if they'd consider themselves bloggers, but maybe photojournalists. Um, there's actually a, a, a kid who's in high school who has really impressed me on social media in terms of just he's got a camera, he wants to do this, and he's going out and he's reporting on things visually and then reporting on them um, over social media. And so that's what I love to see as someone who's kind of taking the initiative with how inexpensive the equipment has gotten and getting out there and, and sharing the news. But then you might have someone else who just happens to live in that neighborhood who's putting it out there, doesn't bother to check with you know, officials on the scene uh, and they're just putting out their best guess and people run with it. Going back to your, your question about um, timeliness, I mean, I think there is added pressure to get the information and the photos out there in a timely manner. But at the same time, we all kind of live in an echo chamber. I mean, on my phone, I have the apps of all, you know, five stations. So I see all these alerts come in. I know who got it in there one minute before the other station. And, and I get that, you know, you get competitive about that stuff. But the, your average viewer or your average person who's on their phone at work will see the alert and say, okay, now I know. They, 
they oftentimes don't even know where they heard it. So we get a little bit more into it than your average news consumer, I think. And so that, you know, that's where we need to kind of step back and say, do people really care? It's just more important to get it out there and get it accurate um, before you just rush to get it out there first and then you've got it wrong. Do you think there's still an existing importance of attending these prestigious and expensive journalism schools in this world of user-generated content? You know, should I be paying all this money to go to school and, and be a journalist? You know, that's a hard one because, I mean, I am very proud of where I went to school. Um, I went to Syracuse University, the Newhouse School, and I thought my education was great. My husband went to a community college and then went to um, Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. And he's excellent and he's, he's a photographer, but he's so into news. And so I kind of look at the two where he spent a fraction of the money that I spent to go to college and really a fraction of the time. Um, and he was out there able to work and start earning money. And so I, I do feel like there's less of an emphasis on going to those big expensive four-year schools. I know I don't regret it at all. I loved my experience and I think I, I learned a lot of what makes me the journalist I am today. But I do think if you're motivated and you're resourceful, you can easily break into this business and do well by finding a different path. I don't think that the path is as straight as it once was and as narrow as it once was. I do think that um, a lot of my colleagues have found a little bit more winding path to get here. See, I'm a little bit biased. I agree with you because I also graduated from Syracuse in the Newhouse School, so I get that. And switching gears a little bit um, as well, I noticed that on your Twitter, and I follow other NBC reporters on Twitter, um, so you guys post videos and photos that kind of tease your packages and your live shots, um, encourage audiences to tune in at five o'clock or 5.30 or whenever your live shot is. Is that a recent adjustment that you've seen that you um, and all your other reporters have had to make in these coming years? Is that encouraged by the station as a whole? It's actually kind of funny because we'll have, uh, not over the past year or so, but um, every 18 months or so we have someone come in um, with NBC, uh, which is the company I work for, and they'll tell us, like, just based on algorithms and their research, what it makes the most sense to do in terms of, you know, whether it makes sense to be on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, TikTok, whatever. The irony I find is, you know, because I've been in this business a long time, is that they will tell us things that contradict year to year. So, there was a time where they said, get away from Facebook, everything on Twitter, you got to break stuff on Twitter. And then the next time, or maybe two times later, they came in and said, Twitter's an echo chamber. It's only journalists and politicians. You need to go back on Facebook. Facebook is where it's at. And then Facebook keeps changing the algorithms. And so people aren't necessarily seeing what you're posting. So I just kind of try to put it out there so people are aware, hey, this is what I'm working on today. If it's breaking, I definitely will tweet more. Um, about it. But if it's just kind of your your typical story of the day, which a lot of what we've been doing this past year has been, whether it's talking to medical experts or teachers or whomever, you know, I, I try to get a quote out there so people are intrigued to try to watch. And then I'll usually share the story afterwards. If it's something that hasn't been out there, you know, all day, I'll usually try to share the story as well, because sometimes that can gain traction um, as people who aren't watching the traditional newscasts you know, or checking their phone and they're saying, oh, okay, I missed that story. Maybe I want to check it out. And then the web has much more prominence um, in terms of 
viewer hits, um, people going to the website, going to the app. And those are things that we're measuring a lot more than we ever did before. So my final question to you is, do you think that the news will eventually lose out to these content creators and social media platforms? I do think um, the, the pie is only so big and you know you can only have so much of it for each station, for each reporter. And so I do think that we already are losing out and losing a section of our audience to those bloggers and those who are just going there with a cell phone and pretty much getting the same information and video out there um, that we are with a big expensive camera on a live truck and you know whatever. Um, so I do think we are losing out. And I think that that's why we're trying to get more creative. I mean, I'm not as involved in the behind the scenes stuff, but we have a big push for OTT, which is over the top. Um, we're putting a lot of content on Roku um, and other streaming services. We've got NBCLX where some of our stories will go and they'll kind of go across the country and then you can access that at any time. So we are trying to get creative. Um, we can sometimes be the dinosaurs of journalism where we take a lot longer than those just with their cell phone to actually get to that point of realizing this is where consumers are and this is where we need to, to be if we wanna get them. So yeah, to, for a long-winded answer to your question, I do think that we are going to lose out a lot and we're trying to keep our foothold, um, but I don't think that we're ever going to have the prominence that we had say 10, 15, 20 years ago when everyone would sit down have dinner, watch the evening news. It's just not, we're not going back to that. That's not society right now. And I don't think that's society in the future. So I, yeah, I do think that there's a going to be a big change on the horizon, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, because it will push us to continue to compete with those content creators and try to up our game. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, but um, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Create Smarter Podcast conversation series. You can follow us on all platforms at 52 Productions to enjoy more episodes and live streams to keep you up to date with all the latest news from the industry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.